and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and on the show this week, we're joined by two teams who have returned to the Championship. One was the pre-season favourite with the bookies to win the league. It's Jacob Robinson from the Norwich Podcast, Canary Cast. Jacob, welcome back to the show. How's it going? Delighted to be back. I remember our conversation a couple of years ago saying, oh, well, we won't be back for a while yet. But uh, <laughs> yeah, here we are again. Yo-Yo FC. Uh, but yeah, delighted to be back, mate. And uh, pleasure to be on as always. A pleasure to have you back, of course. Also with us is the team who's the pre-season favourite to get relegated with the bookies. It's Matt Lax from the Rotherham podcast, New York Talk. Matt, welcome back to the show uh, for you too. Are you well? Very well. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably happier to be back than Jacob on your show, to be honest. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's yeah. undisputed, oh, yeah. really. Also, big fan. Bo- both of the gentlemen on the show this week are wearing retro tops of their respective clubs which i'm a big fan of i think both have got some quality retro tops here and um, well for any regular listeners i hate to let you down like this justin peach hasn't been booted from the podcast unfortunately he's working so he can't join us for this or the final section of the show you can hear his dulcet tones when we go around the grounds but welcome to the number one championship specific podcast he's second tier thank you for joining us wherever you are weekend one of the championship is done and dusted the first week of the championship is back ladies and gentlemen it's so good to be seeing kicking balls around and the atmosphere in grounds again so we'll go through all the games from the past weekend in the championship bar Watford v Sheffield United which is of course on Monday night talk about some of the news from the past few days including the latest transfers and then we'll finish off with the turn of Simon Grayson's hateful eight in the Steve Morrison derby Norwich got off to a losing start away at Cardiff Sawyer's scoring the only goal. First of all, Jacob, short answer. Did he mean it? Um, hmm, no. <laughs> no. I don't think he did either. I think he was just firing it into the striker and it's just creeped its way into the bottom corner. But either way, Jacob, not a great start to the season for Canaries, is it? Oh, tough watch. Really, really tough watch. Um, yeah, it was one of those where kind of reminds us of a couple of years ago when we played Huddersfield, won that game 1-0 thanks to a Stearman slip. And it seemed very similar like that. Both teams didn't really have any attacking edge. Cardiff, defensively, Norwich were absolutely fine, looked uh, comfortable. But again, as we'll surely say quite a few times, about, he hasn't been here for a couple of years now. But Emmy Boindier, you know, you're still missing that massive Argentinian kind of flare and gap. And it just seems that, yeah, we, we had no kind of uh, new players. Obviously, both were injured at the moment, Gabriel Sarr and Isaac Hayden. But it looked like a team that hadn't really played together. There was no clicking, there was no gelling. And... I think there's a lot of Norwich fans at the moment thinking, is what does Dean Smith actually give to this side? Mm, we'll get on to Dean Smith very shortly. Having watched the game, what did you make of Cardiff? Were you impressed with them at all? Um, to be honest, uh, no. <laughs> the difference between <laughs> a championship and Premier League is is so, so drastic. Like, I can't even tell you that the levels. Any team that will come down, well, Fulham Pods will tell you they'll be yo-yo like us again. Um, West Brom as well recently. They'll all tell you that the difference in intensity is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, Cardiff are okay. They did their, their bits decently enough. Um, we had a couple of opportunities where near misses and all of that sort of thing. They didn't really offer a threat. I think Steve Morrison, you can see that he's kind of... Um, yeah, trying to go more play out from the back. It wasn't as physical as what I think a lot of Norwich fans probably expected. I think he'll get there, but if they're above 15th this season, I'd be amazed. They're not pulling up any kind of trees or anything like that. They're solid, they're fine, just typical championship game. And one of those, if Norwich are in a bit more gear, you expect them to win comfortably. Yeah, let's talk Dean Smith then. I'm not really sure how good a manager he is personally, because he did well at Villa, didn't he? But that was with a lot of yeah. financial backing. So... I'm not sure how he'll do at Norwich without as much financial backing. So what do the fans actually think of him? That's a really difficult one. I think from my personal perspective, I think it made sense when he came in. I don't think he was a... I think Stuart Webber's had a little bit of a kettle nips and was linked with us from Bodo Glimp. Played a lot of very similar football to Daniel Farker and seemed like he kind of rejected us. And then Dean Smith was there. It was almost like Webber was like, oh, OK, just out of the corner of the eye. Why not give him a go? feel like Smith kind of took it on maybe a little bit too quickly. I'm not sure how kind of ingrained he is. You know, Villa was his club. It was it was his main job. And now you just think, is this the kind of the next one to try and prove someone wrong? I think Norwich fans are looking at what, what is the style. I think in the Prem, you can say that, yes, he's kind of going to be one of those managers you'd have for a couple of years, like Chris Hutton at Brighton. Keeps you up, keeps you solid. And then you go and advance onto a Graham Potter who then goes and takes you up. Uh, kind of further in that in that league and development and everything. But with Smith in Championship, you know, you need attacking football. And 
I don't really know what it is. At Brentford, I really enjoyed watching him play. You know, he had the Mopes, the Ben Ramas, everything like that. You could see a style, you could see fluidity. <laughs> but under us, I just I have no idea. Timu Puki's got, what, 55 goals in under 90 games. And there's, there's no service to him. There hasn't been really since Smith's come in, to be honest with you. He scores goals. He scored goals, 11 goals again last season. Miraculous, really, considering there was no one really providing him anything. And yesterday was, was I mean, uh, he didn't have a shot. He didn't look like he didn't even really have a touch in the penalty area. It was one of those really concerning ones where you go, actually, you look at Smith. Abraham was his kind of type. He had Wesley at Villa as well. Maybe he likes that more kind of physical forward. I just I don't don't really see what he what he offers this team tactically, to be honest, especially when you want to dominate the ball. We're missing a couple of players, to be fair. Ben Gibson was a big old miss. Grant Hanley was, was yeah, I think a lot of Norwich fans would say a lot of things you wouldn't want to be able to say on this podcast about his performance yesterday. It was just really disappointing. There's no kind of play through the thirds or anything like that. It just seems like we're really kind of struggling for an identity, which is not ideal when the pressure is on you. Like you say, we're the favourites, we'll be the favourites. There's, there's big pressure on Norwich. We won it the last two times. And to be honest, with that squad, um, with big, big talent in there, we should be looking at, Top six, absolute minimum. Yeah, you've got Jordan Hugill in the squad, haven't you? Who's that kind of big physical striker? But it was quite interesting in the week because I thought of Jordan Hugill and it took me a good couple of minutes to actually remember who he actually plays for because <laughs> he's been loaned around so much that I couldn't remember who his parent club was. Um, final one for you then, Jacob. It's a simple one. Who's going to be Norwich's most important player this season? I think it's going to be the two lads that haven't played, or three lads actually who haven't played. Marcelino Nunez, who looks like he's going to come in from Chile, could be, I mean, YouTube compilations, we've all seen him before, but he looks like six goals, nine assists, ten yellow cards last season. Looks like an all-action kind of midfielder, just very make much off that. People are saying Buendia vibes just because of the dribbling, the way he's, he's aggressive, he's we just need a bit of personality. Isaac Hayden, I mean, who knows with that knee, it could be as dodgy as kind of Matt Jarvis FC here where he's been out for Newcastle and hasn't got back in. They've cleared it up. Really don't know what's going to happen there with him. He could be key in just being that kind of uh, disruptor, really, being able to take the ball off people, battle them about, then pass it on to Nunez and Gabriel Sara, who, to be honest, mate, who knows what on earth he is. Like he, we, We've heard reports he's on the right wing, left wing, cam, central midfield. He's that kind of a big, big lad, five foot ten, six foot, who for a midfielder anyway, he's actually able to carry the ball. He's not going to be physical, but he's going to carry that ball up the pitch. And I think that's going to be key for Norwich because if I see Jacob Sorensen and Kenny McLean midfield for the rest of the season, I, I don't think you'll be able to have me on. I'll just be too depressed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good to know. Uh, let's move on to Rotherham. They're off the mark for the new season. They drew one, one all at home to Swansea. Matt, how's the game? Very enjoyable. Very, very enjoyable. Uh, we tend to, when we play teams who try and play football, that tends to suit us fairly well because our game's all that pressing, get in their faces a little bit. Um, I don't think Swansea liked it as, as these teams will play football. They don't like teams like us to get in the faces and whatnot. I think it's a good start point. If that's where we've, if that's our best performance, then we're obviously going to struggle for the season. We obviously don't know where Swansea are going to be. There's big questions on them, so we ain't going to benchmark either from that. Um, it's, there's been big changes through the team through the summer. The guys that came in yesterday, there weren't a single player on the pitch that had a bad game yesterday, including the subs that came on, which is really, really impressive. Um, we've made their keeper make a couple of good saves. So we've, we've not, you know, we're not just nicked to go, we've put them under pressure at times as well. Um, it feels like a really good start. Both teams were probably a little bit unhappy not to get all three points, which for us is, is obviously a very good, good place to start from. Um, unbeaten, you know, it's a good start. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad we've got you back on the on the podcast, Matt, because I've forgotten how beautiful your broad Yorkshire accent is. It's <laughs> re truly remarkable. Um, what a goal by Swansea defender Harry Darling. Worth saying he scored a few for MK Dons last season, mm. so he certainly knows where the back of the net is. Although I doubt he'll score many better than that, because that was an absolute thunder bastard, wasn't it? Um, it could have been a very different result had it not been for Michael Abafemi with an early contender for miss of the season, though, couldn't it? Although... I struggled to see any being worse than that as the season progresses. What did you think of Swansea, Matt? I thought they were okay. I think they've got a very, very soft centre. Uh, when we scored the goal, which was from a long throw, they had a 10, 15 minute spell where they looked very dodgy. Very, very, very soft. Um, and I think I, from, I'm not, I've not watched too much of the Championship last season. I seem to, re I seem to recall that that was a bit of a problem last season. They defensively had a lot of problems. 
Uh, every set piece that we put in the box was a problem for us. I know we're probably going to be pretty decent at set pieces, but that's for me, that would be a concern uh, at Swansea. Uh, I know that they scored from miles out, but they seem to really not want to shoot from outside the box. Uh, and that's why that goal was even more of a surprise because they, they had so many opportunities to let rip from 18-yard box, and they didn't. They just sort of passed it passed it further. Um, they've, they've got the makings of a good team, haven't they, Swansea? But I'm not, I wasn't sold on them yesterday, to be honest. Interesting. I think just about everyone I've seen in their pre-season predictions has tipped Rotherham to go down, Matt. How do you feel about your chances of staying up this season? Uh, it's a little bit of an unknown because there's so many changes. Obviously, we've lost Michael Smith to a key last last season in League One. Uh, Michael Hickwiz, they both chose to stay in League One. So it's we don't know what the players coming in are like. That's that's the question. Um, we talked before we started recording. Cameron Humphreys came in as a centre back from Belgium to seemingly replace Hickwiz, and he was superb yesterday. Only 23 year old, came through City Academy. Uh, everything he needs looks like he needs. He, he was quick, decision making were good, nice and strong. So we look like we've got a good replacement there, if that continues. Uh, we haven't replaced Smith's physicality, but Connor Washington yesterday, his movement and his mobility was much better than Smith. So if he can add a couple of goals to his game, maybe that might work. Tom Eves is still injured. Um, it relies on, we need a bit of luck, obviously, need a bit of luck. We've got another striker hopefully coming in this week. Um, I don't see why we can't stay up. Paul Wong's talking it up, Tony Stewart's talking it up. There's no reason why we can't stay up. But we've got to stay strong. We've got to stay resolute like we did against Swansea yesterday defensively. Um, can't not be positive, but we know how hard it's going to be. And that brings me nicely on to the same question that I asked Jacob. Who's going to be Rotherham's most important player this season? Uh, someone in the midfield. Um, I will say Dan Barlasser, um, who I absolutely love, Dan Barlasser. He is such a good player in the middle of the pitch. It uh, can do just about everything. He's, the last season, we asked him to sort of sit a bit deeper and just sort of dictate the players like a quarterback. Uh, ping balls left, right and centre. Um, yesterday, he almost started the press from the centre of the midfield times, which is a little bit of a different role, but he, is, he can strike a ball like something like nobody I've ever seen. Uh, but he's got that coolness and that calmness as well to go alongside it as well. Um, yeah, he is such a good player. But I mentioned Ben Wiles as well, known as centre, local boy. He, he's also very, very quiet day Saturday, but... That midfield is going to be key to us. There's some very, very good players in that centre midfield. Very good players. Jacob and Matt, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both later to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In the meantime, Justin and I are going to go around the grounds and we'll kick things off with a big game on the opening day between Middlesbrough and West Brom. It finished one all. Joining us now from the Borough Breakdown podcast is Johnny Bullock. Johnny, are you happy with a point? I am, yeah. I think it was a, it was a good point for us yesterday. Um, I thought first half we were excellent and second half we fell a little bit flat. But mainly I think it's just due to squad size and obviously being the first game of the season as well. It's always a tough one for the players. Um, given that we only have 15 first team players, I think it was a really, really good performance for us. Um, definitely shows we can compete even with the small squad that we have so far. Yeah, I don't think you can read too much into this game from a Middlesbrough perspective, can you? And what it means for the season as a whole. But we put Middlesbrough as our champions in our League table predictions, Johnny. What's your reaction to that one? <laughs> a lot of people have said that we're going to be champions this season, but to be honest, I don't see it. Uh, I mean, I would love to, to go up as champions because it would be fantastic, but I think right now we we need to see where we're at in terms of end of August, September, uh, when we've got the players in, to be honest, because right now with 15 players, there's no chance in hell that we're going to be champions, but... I think uh, long. I think long term, we get the right players in. We're going to give it a really good go. I definitely think playoffs. Um, I've predicted us fifth for the season, and hopefully we can kick on from there. But Chris Wilder said that it's it's going to be a slow burner for us this season. We're hoping to try and get better throughout as as the season goes on. But I think yesterday was a good marker in terms of where we can be and where we can challenge. But really nice of you to say that we'll be champions. I mean, I'll hundred percent take it. But I definitely think uh, we'll be more of a playoff team. Interesting, Johnny. Well, you mentioned players coming in over the next few weeks. Give us an idea of what kind of player we can expect to see coming through the door at Middlesbrough before the window ends. So Wilder said that we, we need about five um, five players, but I think there could be more, to be honest. I think there could be about six or seven, uh, and just to try and build the squad depth up. 
we need three strikers. Um, appreciate that Chu Rockpon might be gone by the by in the summer. Duncan Watmore's linked with move away, and so is Josh Corburn, and they were pretty much throughout the four strikers yesterday. So probably need to replace them. Uh, we need a left centre midfielder uh, to replace Tav, um, and then cover across the whole midfield line with with Crooks and and Johnny uh, Johnny Housen as well, and then we need left centre back as well. So. I can't give you names, um, but all what I can say is that Borani pretty much cover all around the pitch uh, to make sure we have a successful season. But fingers crossed, it happens. Cheers, Johnny, and hello, Justin Peach. Nice of you to join us. Yep, better late than never. Not the usual intro we, we go with, but we'll, yeah, we'll take it, we'll go. Yeah, at least you're here and ready to talk about some championship football, Justin. West Brom v Middlesbrough, what did you make of the game? Yeah, I was, I was really impressed with it. Um, I think both sides, you, you saw you saw the talent that both sides have, especially at this level. Um, and I think it, it paid off in this game. You could argue that both sides were quite open, but at the same time, you mentioned you talk about that attacking um, attacking talent that both teams have. It, it was a thoroughly entertaining game. And I think both goals... Um, in this game, epitomise how how uh, both sides are going to play. You saw cutbacks from from Jed Wallace to John Swift, and then the same to Isaiah Jones. Really, really good game of football, and um, yeah, really good marker for for both these teams. Yeah, I think a point will be at the very least satisfactory for both managers. I think from a Buller perspective, we saw glimpses of just how good this team can be. Giles and Jones on the flanks were absolutely excellent. Everything that Buller did that was good went down the wings and it was because both of them were just on fire particularly Ryan Giles in this game he had a really bright debut and I think it was a good performance when you consider this Borough team was about three quarters of the finished article I don't foresee Duncan Watmore or Chubapcom starting many games this season or maybe even being at the club past the end of the transfer window and if it was Marcus Force on the end of that Watmore chance in the first half it would have been a completely different game as far as I'm concerned, and of course, they're also looking to sign another striker, as um, Wilder has alluded to, and they're also trying to get a left-sided centre-half in and maybe another centre-mid in too. So there's still plenty of work to be done in the transfer window for Middlesbrough, but considering that this side isn't the finished article yet, as I say, then I think it was a good first go for Chris Wilder's boys. Um, from a West Brom perspective, first half I was a bit worried. I thought they looked a bit passive, but... They were much better in the second half, weren't they, Just Yeah, they regained a bit of control and I think they, they got hold of uh, Ryan Giles as, uh, as well because they afforded him a lot of time and space, uh, especially in the first half. And I think DK coming on, uh, I know it was only for the last 10 minutes, but he, he gave you saw what he could give West Brom with his, with his physicality. He bullied Lenahan at times. And as I say, that was just in a 12-minute spell. So a lot more to come from, from West Brom. And um, again, the, the, the partnership that could potentially develop between Swift and Wallace... Yeah, it really does whet the appetite and gets me excited. Yeah, beautifully taken goal by John Swift. Once in a few months' time, a point away at Middlesbrough could look like a very good result, considering many, mm-hmm. including us, have tipped them for promotion. So I think both will be pleased with this result. Burnley got off to a winning start on their return to the Championship. They beat Huddersfield 1-0, thanks to a goal from Ian Martson. Justin Burnley were brilliant, weren't they? Particularly in the first half. Huddersfield didn't manage a single shot on target because... Burnley dominated the game, 70% possession. And when was the last time we saw Burnley have more than half the possession in a game? Yeah, it's, it's bizarre putting that sentence together, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah, as you say, I was really impressed with them. Not only with the, you know, did they dominate possession, but they moved the ball around really fluidly. Um, it was very nice and composed. and They created an abundance of chances as well. And I wasn't sure how they were going to cope with this transition. Um, but I thought it was well balanced. I know it's only the first game of the season. You can't read too much into it. But if that's a marker of where Burnley can go and what they can do with the ball, it's going to be a very good season for them. Yeah, I was just amazed at how <laughs> different a side they looked because they've got some of the same players there, like yeah. Ashley Barnes up front, for example, who you wouldn't usually associate with playing a sexy style of football, mm-hmm. but that's what we saw with this Burnley team, wasn't it? And they still had the likes of Scott Twine, for example, on the bench. So the fact that they've gone from Brexit Burnley to playing some sexy football is just incredible. And I use this phrase for... Stoke last season but I think we're seeing sexy Burnley just in peach we've gone from what we saw before which you wouldn't usually associate with Burnley but now we're seeing a completely different thing under Vincent Company. I think you've got to take your hat off to him for that for 
putting in such an impressive performance and implementing a completely different style of play in a matter of months. So, yeah, really impressed with what I saw from Burnley in this game. I mentioned the Burnley are going up basket in our league table predictions, Justin, and not putting all your eggs in that basket, um, considering they have Vincent Company in charge. After this performance, are you putting any eggs in that basket? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw them in, um, obviously, because they will break, and you don't want eggs to break in the basket because there's yolk everywhere, and you don't want to make a, a yolk of the situation, if you like. Um, no. But um, I, yeah, I, it's it's easy to get carried away, especially when they play as well as they did. Um, but it's a long it's a long season, and they but again. The other side of the coin is they still got players to come in. Um, so, uh, like I was saying, if that's a marker of what Burnley can do, and they've still got players to come in, then they can only get better, surely. But there'll be periods in, throughout the season where they'll be inconsistent. So, in a roundabout way, I'm I'm going to withhold my eggs for now. Not even a single egg. I'll maybe carefully place the egg in there. But if I throw them okay. in now, it's it's going to be messy. We don't want that. Yeah, maybe just the one egg, because it was certainly encouraging, wasn't it? Um, in fairness, Huddersfield will play plenty of teams, not as strong as Burnley as the season goes on, but they were worryingly toothless here, weren't they? As I say, just no shot on target. The only chance they really had, and it was a half chance at best, was when Danny Ward hit a half volley over from the edge of the box. I didn't really like what I saw from Huddersfield here, but I won't get too carried away, Justin, but not great. Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't the best game by any means we what Huddersfield did really well last season is they were they, they they played a defensive style of football but they pressed and they pressed and energy was a big part of that but in this game they looked flat they looked tired um, and they never got going they never got into their stride they they sat off Burnley too much in the first half and that hands the onus to these teams who are going to play a possession style of football um, and as I say was it naive by Danny Schofield? I'm not going to criticise, but at the same time, it just that first 45 minutes set them up for a really, really poor game and they were recovering from there. And obviously, the goal goal behind against Burnley, it's still going to be built on the same foundations of a solid team, so it's still going to be difficult to break down, as they found. Yeah, I think the absence of Lewis O'Brien was glaring <laughs> in this game because he would have made a massive difference, but they just got completely dominated in the middle of the park. If they had an O'Brien there, he's the kind of guy who can take charge of that midfield and lets the opposition not have much time on the ball as Burnley were allowed. So that's going to be interesting to see if Huddersfield are able to change that with the season going on, but not promising first outing for Danny Schofield's Huddersfield. The Hull Revolution has got the season off to a good start. They won 2-1 at home to Bristol City. The Bristol City players turned up to this game in taxis after their coach broke down in Hull. If only one of those taxis hung around for the referee, because taxi for the referee, ladies and gentlemen, one of the most bizarre penalty decisions I've ever seen. Cal Naismith dives into a challenge. Benjamin Tete seemingly goes past it, jumps, and then falls over and gets a penalty. It was... Such a strange one, Justin. I, I wouldn't say it was strange. I'd say it's a terrible dive. Um, as far as dives go, it wasn't very good. You know, Callum O'Hare is. I'm not. I'm not labelling Callum O'Hare a diver, but he makes. He, he exaggerates challenges very well. So if Tete wants to, you know, get on the phone to him and ask how he does it um, succinctly, then that's a good. It's a good way of doing it. But it was a terrible decision from the referee. And I've forgotten about referees throughout the summer. So. It's a bit nice, nice way to get back into it, isn't it? Yeah, it's a big thud back down to the ground, isn't it? When we suddenly realise once again how bad the standard <laughs> of refereeing is in the championship. One of my big pet peeves in football is when a player gets fouled but tries to play on, and then they don't get anything when they after losing the ball straight afterwards, and um, because he tried to be honest, but. That's what I thought was happening initially with this, but it just wasn't at all, was it? In fact, mm -hmm. it was almost the complete opposite because it was just clearly not a penalty. There was very minimal contact with the challenge and then Benjamin Tete, how he's managed to fool the referee <laughs> here, I have no idea. But Nigel Pearson was not happy at all and you can completely understand his frustration with that. So Bristol City can consider themselves unfortunate to lose because of a questionable penalty and a deflected goal. Um, but a good start for Hull. Two new boys getting on the score sheet in Ozan Tufan and Jean-Michel Seri. Seri in particular was absolutely sensational, Justin, and showed why his signing is such a game-changer for Hull. 96 touches, by far the most on the pitch in this game. And it shows 
that Hall now have a guy who can dictate games. And that can transform a team because Hall on plenty of occasions at home last season were shocking, yeah, weren't they? Yeah. But now, when they've got home advantage, the home supporter behind them and dominating games, they've got someone here who can orchestrate everything from the middle of the park. And as well as that, he created seven chances himself, as well as getting the goal. So it was an unbelievable performance from him. And I think he gave Hall fans a taste of what they're going to get with him. Um, anyone in particular impress you here? Was it Seri for you too? Yeah, Seri was brilliant. Um, I'm just going to add a little bit more. It's, it's, it's amazing how much a signing can transform a team um, and how they play. I think you could have plopped Seri into that team of last season and their yeah their ability to get results would have been a lot better. Um, but yeah, I thought Hull were, were really good. I thought Louis Coyle on the right-hand side was, was forever dangerous um, with his uh, supply. And um, yeah, as you say, everything good. Uh, coming out of Hull this season, we'll, we'll go through Seri. Um, so if opposition teams can get a hold of him, it'll, they'll go a long way to stopping Hull. Yeah, absolutely. Looking at the other new boy, Oscar Estupinan, one of the most interesting new signings from the summer. Had a good chance in the first half, but not much else. May take him a bit of time to adjust to the league. Final point on this game, Justin. I do a pub quiz every Wednesday night, Justin, and... There's a lad who works at the pub I go to who is the spitting image of Bristol City midfielder Alex Scott. Honestly, Justin, looks exactly like him. I'm seriously thinking he must be moonlighting being a footballer <laughs> and working in a pub in Derby in the same time. Makes sense. It makes sense. You know, we, we, we've all got to earn a living, haven't we? And obviously... Yeah. Times are tough. We've got to pay out. It's got more. Come on, get your finger out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's have a quick break, Justin. After that, we'll talk about a win for Millwall and a win for Blackburn. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast in the Gary Varrett Derby. Millwall 1-2-0 at home to Stoke thanks to a double from new signing Charlie Cresswell. He's a defender for a start, had never scored a professional goal prior to this and even more incredibly, he's the son of former striker, Stoke striker Richard Cresswell, which I just didn't realise at all. Justin. Wow. No, I didn't know that. That's, that's a, that blown my mind a little bit. That's fantastic. Is it blowing uh, your mind Cresswell. in fact that... We used to watch Richard Cresswell play football, and now his son is playing and yeah. scoring for Millwall. That's um, that's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? But that's that's all about ageing. But yeah, Richard Cresswell was a player I loved, especially at Preston. Him and Healy were, were fantastic. Wow. Yeah, and his son's got the goal-scoring touch as well, from the looks <laughs> of it. Uh, this was a classic Millwall win, wasn't it? They restricted Stoke to just four shots and did the business at the other end. Yeah, you're spot on. I, I thought Millwall were impressive and I think if they can get results like that because they, they weren't particularly troubled by Stoke, I'm really disappointed, but to give Millwall as much credit as possibly uh, as possible, I thought they, they were, yeah, I say really impressive. They created chances, they were dangerous from set pieces. Um, I think Honeyman and Bradshaw in behind a foe, they worked really well. The wing-backs were productive um, and the press worked very, very nicely and obviously if you can cap it off with, with a couple of goals from set pieces, um yeah, it's it's a very good performance. I'd be interested to because obviously Charlie Cresswell scored a couple of goals in preseason as well from um, from corners. So it'll be interesting to see how many goals he, he can get this season. He, he'll be competing with Jake Cooper for that. Yeah, new boy Zion Fleming started on the bench, came on for the last fifteen minutes. So it seems like he's going to be eased into things at a Millwall. Uh, Stoke set pieces—they were all over the shop, weren't they? The two goals came from the set pieces, but it wouldn't surprise me if there were a couple more because. Every time a corner got floated in, they were just all over the shop. But not a good start for Stoke, especially when the team that started isn't a million miles off the strongest eleven. They're probably a Nick Powell and Harry Souter away from it being as strong mm. as it gets for the Potters. So that's concerning. Michael O'Neill will be hoping they can get off the mark in the next couple of games because he's certainly a manager who starts the season under a bit of pressure, isn't he? A wonder goal by Lewis Travis gave John Dahl Thomason his first win at Black as Blackburn manager. Manager. They beat QPR 1-0. Is it too early to be saying goal of the season contender, Justin? It absolutely is. You, you get far too carried away with these screamers, especially because there's there's been another one. Yeah, yeah you, you you get carried away. You, you love a, a, a contender. But for me, I, I, I don't... I mean, it's a very good strike, but for, yeah, but for me, I, I wouldn't put it in my top five. Considering that we've only just started the season, it's very difficult to... I mean... <laughs> If that's the only screamer scored this season, then I'll have to put it in my top five. 
of course there's going to be other contenders <laughs> as the season goes on, Justin, but you're already ruling it out of your top five? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, he's, yeah, I'm trying to analyse the strike. It was a very, very good strike without putting it down. It was a, an incredible strike from that distance and it was a curler as well, so he didn't just thrash it. It was a beautifully placed uh, hit. But for me, I if, there will be better goals than that. I thought it was a beautiful goal. I thought <laughs> Travis's the amount, the amount of whip he's managed to get on it and the pace as it hits the back of the net was just sensational and even more can, remarkable when you consider he's only scored four league goals in his whole career mm-hmm. yeah. prior to this. So, yeah, I'm not sure uh, you're giving the goal the credit it deserves, Justin. But it was a good start by Blackburn. Not too many chances in the game, but they had one chalked off for offside and Ben Brereton Diaz kept Sunny Diang busy in the QPR goal. So a promising first outing for John Dahl Thomason's boys. Um, let me just check something, Justin. Yep, that's right. We're one game into the season and already some QPR fans have been having a meltdown after this result. Uh, it's just a small minority, I will emphasise that. But let's be honest, it wasn't a great performance. No shots on target and... They really struggled going forwards. They seem to be missing Chris Willock massively, who's still out with an injury. But we have got to keep this in mind. This is the first ever competitive game that Michael Beale has managed. It's Mm. going to take some time before you start seeing results and performances on the pitch. The reason QPR have got him in is to give a young, highly rated coach a chance to show what he's all about and also develop young players. Of course it's a gamble. It's always going to be a gamble when you give a the job to a guy who's not managed a professional game before in his life. So appointments like this need patience, don't they? Otherwise, there's no point going in for a young, unproven manager. You may as well just get in Mick McCarthy or someone in that mould who's been there and done it many a time. And I don't think QPR fans are seriously thinking this was a mistake already. I think it is just some people just a bit upset at the performance. It should get better in recent weeks, but even if it doesn't, you've got to give Michael Beale time, haven't you? unless it starts going seriously, seriously wrong very quickly. Yeah, you're spot on. And I think they're nowhere near done in terms of the transfer window as well. You look at the squad yesterday. Dizel played right right wing back. Uh, Kakai was right centre half. Um, Shadipo started the game. I know he's had a promising pre-season, but the, the, this team's nowhere near the finished article. So there's a lot of recruitment that needs to be done um, still. And I don't think you can really judge a manager until he's got his team out there that he wants to play um, and that comes with additions and obviously Chris Willock I think that, that'll be a big challenge for Beal is, is finding a way to get more out of a ice chair if Chris Willock isn't available because when they both come into the team and they're both on it they're going to be a really dangerous side um, so it's just finding ways to make it click when one or the other isn't there and when they back fit together getting them played together as well Absolutely Michael Appleton got his first three points back in charge of Blackpool they beat Reading 1-0 First off, quite comfortable for the Tangerines, but Reading were better in the second. Overall, I'd say Reading worked hard, as you'd expect in a Paul Ince team with the players they've got, but not much in the way of quality, and that could prove to be a problem as the season goes on, Justin. I think that's the formula we're expecting from Reading, isn't it? Um, they're going to work hard, they're going to graft. Um, chance creation, chance conversion might be issues at times, but if you've got a fit Lucas Schell, for example, he's going to put chances away. I know he didn't play in this game, but yeah, you get you get the players back fit into that team. They could become a different contender, but I think the thing that concerned me is how compact they set up to be, but the amount of chances they still conceded from Blackpool, and I think that's something that's going to be um, an ongoing issue for, for Paul Lintz until he finds that blend, because that's more of what we saw towards the tail end of last season when their form started to dip after a little bit of a resurgence under Paul Ince. Yeah, in fairness, Paul Ince says they were missing half their starting eleven mm-hmm. due to injury, but it seems like a lot of them will be out for a number of weeks. And that's a concern because when you think of people like Lucas Yao, for example, who Reading will be relying on a lot this season, they need players like him to be firing and showing the quality they've got because Reading don't have much else in the way of quality so yeah that's a big concern for Reading and maybe something they address in the transfer window and considering many people have tipped Blackpool to be in danger of going down you've got to applaud them for this result haven't you? Yeah really good performance as well Um, they they exported the wide areas really really well Bowler was was on form as as we expect Um, and they created a good amount of chances and 
I know Reading were resurgent um, in the second half and they did improve, but Blackpool were, were certainly good value for the win. Um, a slightly different setup as well, which was interesting with Jerry Yates playing off Gary Medina on the left hand side and obviously Boller on the right. That was um, something that intrigued me and be interested to see if they, they persist with that. But certainly, as I say, good value for the win. Maybe a draw would have been a fair result based on the chances, but Blackpool were, were very good in the first half and I think they'll, they'll take that all day, a clean sheet on the first day of the season and a 1 0 win. Luton v Birmingham ended goalless. A couple of surprises in the starting lineup. Elijah Adebayo was playing up front. He wouldn't have been blamed for thinking he could be heading out the door and they give a chance to the likes of Corley Woodrow, for example. So, yeah, that was an interesting one. Ethan Horvath started in goal as well. I thought Matt Macy would be the first choice, but time will tell whether that's a permanent thing or not. Overall, I'd sum up this as Nathan Jones will be happy with the performance, but disappointed with the result. Right, you're spot on. They had enough chances to win the game easily. Um, but it was a solid start. And I think the only thing that held them back last season was that middle third of the season when chance conversion became a bit of an issue. We saw Adebayo missing um, from six yards out, but it's something that corrected itself throughout the season. But as you say, you want to get those good habits in um, and and the amount of chances they created is a very good habit. It's just putting the, the ball in the back of the net and that will come with, with more games as the season progresses. You look at how busy John Ruddy was, I wouldn't be too concerned. I'd be quite pleased with the performance, but it was always going to be a difficult game against Birmingham City, who are the opening day specialists, I think. Yeah, they uh, certainly have a good <laughs> record on the opening day, don't they? John Eustace will be, well, they've allowed for a right to be happy with a point here, won't he? Kenilworth Road, a fortress last mm-hmm. season and many people, including us, have been tipping Birmingham to struggle, so it could end up being a really, really good and important point for Blues. In one of many Lancashire derbies we'll see this season, Wigan v Midtable Preston finished 0-0. Um, the main thing of note from this game was a horror challenge by Chad Evans. He and a Wigan player have both slid him for the ball and Evans' studs have essentially landed in the Wigan player's heart. So an easy decision for the referee here. Although the Wigan player did make it look very dramatic by doing some breakdancing afterwards. So um, I think Evans will be annoyed, but I don't think he can really um, blame the referee too much, Justin. No, sorry, that makes it sound like he's gone straight through. Like He basically I, I, has. It's, I, I don't know if anyone's seen the boys on Amazon Prime, but it's, it sounds like uh, that way, literally... Just gone straight through him, but it was Curtis Tilt, the Wigan defender, and he's he's made a bit of jest on social. He's acknowledged that his break dancing was um, a fair, yeah, a fair exaggeration, but still a bad challenge. Yeah, it's not a great challenge at all. <laughs> Preston had the best chance when they were denied by a double save from Ben Amos. Otherwise, a point which I think both managers will be fairly happy with. As we record this episode, Sunderland are playing Coventry, possibly in front of the biggest championship crowd in more than five seasons. To tell us how that game went, here's Justin from the future. Ooh, this is Justin from the future. And it was a 1-1 draw between Sunderland and Coventry at the Stadium of Light to former Premier League heavyweights, two very former Premier League heavyweights at that. And it was a feisty encounter, no idea how the game finished 11 v 11, but it did and it also finished in a 1-1 draw. Sunderland took the lead through Jack Clark, who operated as a left wing back, an interesting role for the youngster who has got a lot of potential but needs to get it out and that might be a future for him there in that position. Coventry didn't offer too much throughout the game. Sunderland probably had the better chances and Victor Giorcares did what Victor Giorcares does. He danced through the midfield and uh, put in a goal in the season contender, let's be honest. Better than uh, better than Lewis Travis's strike anyway. Yeah, an individual goal, solo goal, great finish from the edge of the box. And a 1-1 draw, giving both sides a steady start. Thank you, Justin, from the future. And the final game of the weekend is Watford at home to Sheffield United. A big game, if the pre-season odds are anything to go by. That's on Monday night, so we'll review that one in Thursday's episode. Now it's the return of the Overly Loud news jingle. Yes, it's time for the news and we'll begin with transfers from the past week. Dwight McNeil has left Burnley for £20 million to go to Everton. Not... A massive shock this one, Justin. I think Burnley fans would have loved to keep him, but it was always going to be unlikely that that was going to happen. So how much of a blow do you think this actually is? Well, I I had, um, I think when we did our uh, one of our pre-season episodes, I had McNeil to be one of Burnley's top performers. I was really looking forward to seeing him in a championship because I think he needed that drop down just to get his confidence back because he is a fairly... Well, a very talented player. Um, but again, similar to Nathan Collins, I think to get £20 million for a player who got one assist last season and chance creation wasn't too high, I think it's a good deal. And the fact that he's gone to Everton is 
relatively amusing because they've bought um, a winger who was relegated with Burnley who didn't provide too much creativity and it looks like they're going to be fighting relegation again. I just find that slightly amusing. Yeah, I think £20 million is definitely a good deal. Um, I think he would have been handy to have for Burnley, but I don't think he would have... I'm not expecting as much... I wouldn't have expected as much from Dwight McNeil as I would from Ismail Lassar. For yeah. example, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think for that, in that respect, twenty million pounds could be a very, very handy deal for for Burnley, especially if they reinvest it back in the squad. Burnley have also signed Brazilian fullback Vitinho from Circle of Bruges for an undisclosed fee. They love a signing from Belgium at the moment, don't they? He's a right back. Not really a position I thought they needed to strengthen, but they've gone and done it anyway. Marcus Force has joined Middlesbrough from Brentford. He signed a four-year deal and reportedly joins for just three million. Pounds. It's been well publicised that Middlesbrough have been after a striker and so he's at least one of the answers to that problem so far, isn't he? Yeah, spot on. He's a, he's a player that we like, isn't he? When he was at Brentford um, in their uh, promotion season, um, I, he was very effective playing off the left, essentially playing as a second striker um, on the left wing, playing off Ivan Tony. It's a partnership that wor- worked really well. Um, he's, he's, his movement's good as a forward. So, you know, we're talking about um, Middlesbrough's goal against West Brom about the cutbacks coming in Marcus Force is going to get on the end of a lot of those and I think if Middlesbrough can bring in a number nine who can do a lot of the dirty work that's going to free Force up um, quite often and he's going to score goals he's going to score goals at this level I think his whole spell was a blip we've said before it just didn't work out um, but that was a signing we were excited about because Force is a very very talented player um, and as I say that in that Middlesbrough team I easily see him getting double figures and beyond he could be a real force for Middlesbrough next season, yeah, couldn't he? Um, well, Borough definitely needed to add another forward, didn't they? They needed at least two, to be quite honest, didn't they? Um, and I think it could end up being a terrific bit of business. I mean, £3 million for a guy who was brilliant at Brentford, mm-hmm. wasn't he? The only reason yeah. he wasn't featuring more was because of Ivan Tony. And people yeah. may look at his figures from that season and think, well, he's played all those games and only managed, I think, eight goals off the top of my head. But that's because so many of them were off the bench and he was coming on for the last 10 minutes of games um, and barely had a chance of an impact. But he still made the most of those um, chances when he was given them and was a deadly finisher at Brentford, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, only 23 wouldn't surprise me to see him being a regular Premier League striker at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, without a doubt, got the potential to be a very, very good player at this level. So, yeah, I think this could be a really good bit of business for Middlesbrough. I do think they need another striker. But as far as £3 million go, I think you'll do well to find a better spend £3 million this summer. Former Stoke right-back Tommy Smith has also joined Borough on a one-year deal. Raider Kadra has joined Sheffield United on loan. The Brighton forward was with Blackburn last season. I like this one, Justin. He was dangerous at Blackburn, wasn't he? And while I'm not saying Gibbs-White levels of danger are coming in, he can be a very handy option for them, can't he? Yeah, they're, they're plugging gaps that Gibbs-White's left. With Tommy Doyle, they've got a very composed midfielder who brings something slightly different. He's going to score goals. He's going to get in the box. Elliman Dai, who's not a creator by Gibbs-White's level, but he's going to score goals from a similar position on the pitch. And then you add Rita Kadri, and he's going to add that little bit more creativity. So... They're not going to spend seven or eight million pounds to replace Morgan Gibbs White. They've actually brought in and recruited quite smartly, I think. They've propped up their squad. They've got a lot of balance as well. I think it's a really smart signing. And we saw glimpses of what Kadra could do last season. I think he can do a lot more uh, this season with Sheffield United. Yeah, I'm definitely intrigued to see how he takes to playing in a team as talented as Sheffield United one. Birmingham have signed Derby midfielder Christian Bielik. The Polish international joins on loan. What a move this is by Blues, Justin. I, I mean, mm. we're big fans of Christian Bielik, aren't we? Yeah. When he was fit for Derby, he was sensational. Maybe not as much last season. Maybe he was still carrying something from past injuries. Um, or maybe it was affecting him mentally. But when he is on it, you have got yourself a Premier League player, in my eyes. Talent-wise, he's fantastic. And his physicality, I mean... He's a daddy long legs, isn't he? So that <laughs> helps when you're in the championship. Um, but if he stays fit, unfortunately, that's a big if based off his injury record in recent years. Um, but if he avoids injury, then Birmingham have got a player with Premier League talent, as far as I'm concerned. Plus, he's still got years ahead of him, and he's mm-hmm. trying to. He wants to play in the championship so he can um, play for Poland in the World Cup. Yeah. So 
I think uh, he's got that motivation and that kind of carrot in front of him as well, Antti. So Birmingham have pulled off a worldie with it, with this move, I think. Preston have completed the double loan signings of Spurs striker Troy Parrott and Manchester United right-back Alvaro Fernandez. I like the Parrott signing, Justin. Yeah, it, I mean... It's, it, if you're it's really all... funny there, you would have said, I like the Parrott signing, no, Justin. No, I'm not getting involved in any of that because... It's frustrated me on Twitter quite a lot because <laughs> it's an overused gag. Um, but yeah, the, I think his spell at MK Dons, he, he needed it. He needed that spell because his loan spell at Millwall the previous season was, was really poor. Um, so he, he developed a clinical edge to him. His movement was great. I saw a goal, um, a goal clip and it was almost Van Basten-esque where he just hits it. Right foot volley, beautiful hit, um, and that's what he can bring. So if he can, if he can get to a level where I, th- I think it's really important for Preston fans not to compare him with Cameron Archer because I don't think they're similar strikers. Um, nah. But I think the partnership with um, Emil Reese will work really, really well, and he's going to get plenty of chances in that Preston team because of how they play. Um, but yeah, it's, I really like the signing, um, and uh, again, interesting to see if he can adapt to the championship this time around. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all knits together in a by the end of the transfer window because I think Preston may be in the market for another striker. Cardiff have signed Jaden Philogene on loan from Villa. The winger was at Stoke in the second half of last season. You like that one, don't you, Justin? Love it. Um, he's, he really excited me. Um, again, Stoke's attack grew stale, but he injected a lot of pace, a lot of excitement into it. And to go back to that Huddersfield game where Josh Caroma committed the one of the worst tackles I've seen in football. But... For, Jaden Fulagin was absolutely outstanding in that game. And that's a real marker of what he can do because he was um, at the centre of everything good for, for Stoke. He picked up a couple of injuries and went through the motions a bit with form. But if he can, if Morrison can get him going, he's going to be uh, an outstanding talent and a massive, massive asset to Cardiff this season. Yeah, he showed glimpses of what mm-hmm. he could do, but then he only made one appearance in the last two months of the season and just couldn't get back into the team. So, yeah, I, I'm interested but I'm not convinced. Watford have let Kika Firminia leave to go to Villarreal. Mario Gaspar goes the other way so a like-for-like swap at right wing back although Gaspar had actually been released by Villarreal. An interesting move because he's a bit of a Villarreal legend isn't he? Mm. But he is 31 and was more of a squad player for them last season so I'll be interested to see how effective he is at championship level. Sunderland have loaned in Everton forward Ellis Sims for the season. He was with Hearts last season and Blackpool before that. Thoughts on that one, Justin? Yeah, he's, he's a very good number nine and he adds um, a versatility to Sunderland's attack and a, and a good backup option for Ross Stewart. And another option if, say, if Sunderland wanted to go to a 3-5-2, he'd be a very good partner for Ross Stewart. He's, um, he's a real mix, but a, a very flexible number nine, which is really good. And he was in involved in their transfer to sort of a lot of teams linked with him um, this summer, which goes to show that he's a very highly regarded player. Yeah, he's not a clinical goal scorer, but he should chip in with a few. And I think he'll be an excellent foil for Ross Stewart, won't he? Alex Neal Mm -hmm. has said he'll play alongside Ross Stewart. And I think Sims will be the guy who will be supporting him. He'll be the physical one, you know, running the channels whereas Stuart will be the man who's in the box and Sims will be looking to set him up as much as possible. So I think it's a really good move, as you say. He was being chased by quite a few clubs, so it'll be exciting to see how he does. Um, the Black Cats have also signed goalkeeper Alex Bass, or Bass, from Portsmouth. Blackpool have brought in Canadian international Theo Corbineau on loan from Wolves. The forward had spells MK Donson Sheffield Wednesday last season. Reading have signed Porto midfielder Mamadou Laum. Laum. He made 32 appearances for Alaves in La Liga last season. Why are all these teams signing names? That's so confusing. Where are the Smiths? Where are the Jones? <laughs> the Royals have also signed the brilliantly named Nesta Guinness-Walker on a one-year deal after he was released from AFC Wimbledon. He didn't play too well against Blackpool, but it was his first game in a Royal shirt. Rotherham brought in Huddersfield midfielder Scott High on loan. I think that's an interesting signing, Justin. Yeah, the, the Huddersfield fans couldn't really make their minds upon Scott High last season. Um, and his form did give them that notion. He was he was high and low with his form. Um, hey. But yeah, I mean, he's staying in the Championship so we can carry our game on. That's good. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think what's, what Paul Warner do, we saw it with Lewis Wing, he'll get the best out of 
his midfielders and Scott Hale will be central to that. He's, he's an energetic player. He will fit nicely into a, a high press. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Hey. <laughs> so, yeah, it'll, it'll be a hard-working player. And it, I think Paul Warren, if anyone's going to get the best out of a player, it'll be Paul Warren. High hopes. <laughs> Lee Peltier has also joined the Millers on a one-year deal. 35 years old he is now, which uh, surprised me. Um, let's move away from transfers, Justin, and on to Birmingham's takeover. EFL CEO Trevor Birch says they haven't yet approved Maxi Lopez and Paul Richardson's takeover. Speaking to TalkSport, he said it's at the very early stages. It's despite the Daily Mirror reporting the takeover was imminent. It's as The Athletic says the takeover is being held up because the club is failing to provide information about their current ownership structure and Lopez and Richardson have done all they can at this stage. Um, There's been a lot of concern, should Mm -hmm. I say, about who actually owns Birmingham City and it seems like that may be a problem now from what I'm understanding anyway. Um, But they could do with getting this takeover of the line sooner rather than later, couldn't they, Justin? Yeah, certainly by the end of the transfer window, which is at the end of August. So I... Judging by my experience as a Derby supporter, takeovers take a very long time to get sorted. But if they've, if you've got a, a willing buyer, surely it should be fairly easy. Um, I know Birmingham City, the current owners, they're going to want to sell because they've run the club into the ground. So it makes sense to accept the offer. But if they can't get their own um, th- their own situation sorted, which is really bizarre that it's got to this point after five or six years of ownership and we still don't know who the owner is. Yeah, just a lot of concerns and question marks, rightly so. But as you say, I, Birmingham City need players. They need they need to bring players in. Bielik's is a good signing, but they need more. Um, so yeah, there are major concerns. But I think in the long term, as long as Birmingham City get new owners, you have to take the short term hit. Then that's that, that's a good thing. Yeah, Paul Richardson said it will take two to three weeks, and that was around a week ago now. So that's looking a bit optimistic at the very least so I think it could take a bit longer before anything's actually sorted out. Sheffield United striker Ian Brewster has had an assault charge against him dropped. He was accused of attacking a Forest fan during the pitch invasion after the playoff semi-final last season his teammate Ollie McBurney has been accused of doing the same thing and his charge still stands. Hall's CEO has left the club after seven months. Jim Rodwell worked closely with Akon Ilikali to help him take over the Tigers but has moved on to pursue other opportunities but he seems to have left on good terms. EFL referees will be clamping down on things like time-wasting, dissent and increasing the threshold of contact for fouls. The PGMOL, who are the governing body for match officials, says it's committed to making the EFL a better product for the new campaign. Of course, I'm all for this, Justin. The only thing is, is this actually going to do something um, because we've seen this before where it changes for the first five or six games of the season and then just mm-hmm. goes back to normal after that. Yeah, well, we saw the refereeing at the Euros was very loose. They allowed things to continue. You know, the the, the, the small, irritating fouls, they just allowed them to, to play on. And that was a good thing. We saw open games. The games weren't disrupted. But as you say, it lasted five or six games into the championship season. Then we saw it's returned to normality. Um uh, obviously, if, if if the referees are anything to go by this season, we saw Lee Tomlin get sent off for Doncaster. So anyone that wants to have a laugh and actually, that's a good example of it working. Just don't be a knob, basically, or you get carded. That's a that's a positive. And if if our referees carry that on, then players will stop doing it. And that, again, that's a positive. But it has to be more than five or six games, as you say. Yeah, increasing the threshold of contact for fouls. I'm not sure Bristol City fans saw that <laughs> at the weekend. And finally, Cardiff City have retired the number seven shirt in memory of Peter Whittingham, which is a lovely touch from them, isn't it? Justin, let's do some polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on all things to do with the championship. The first question I asked them was this, which of the relegated teams will finish highest this season, Burnley, Norwich or Watford? I still think Burnley and I think that performance just they reaffirmed that for me although we haven't seen Watford yet so who knows yeah Burnley I think that performance on Friday night impressed a lot of people because 61% of people said Burnley in this poll 21% said Watford although we haven't seen them yet at the time of recording and 18% said Norwich which of the relegation favourites is the most likely to stay up Birmingham, Reading or Rotherham Reading I'd say Reading 39% 39% of people said Birmingham, 33% of people said Reading, 28% of people said Rotherham, quite, which I think quite is close. quite high for mm. them. Uh, yeah, very close indeed. And finally, what is the best jacket potato topping? Baked beans, coleslaw, cheese or tuna mayo? 
I've only just started eating baked beans and I'm absolutely obsessed with them. And we went on a stag do and that was the first time I started eating baked beans. So I'm going to say baked beans, even though I've never had it on a jacket potato before. I'll say baked beans. You'd never had baked beans prior to that? No, no. Grand old age of 28 years old, I've never had baked beans until last month. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm starting (laughs) to consider just changing this podcast into the creature that is just in peach. So not only have you only just had baked beans... You also turn up to football matches late on purpose. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just interested about the life and times of your life. Yeah, I, I should do a, a day in the life of vlog for the for the podcast. I think that yeah, I'm a very peculiar person. I imagine f- from the outside world. I think I'm very normal, peculiar. But... <laughs> um, well, 39% of people said baked beans. 38% of people said cheese. 20% of people said tuna mayo. Only 3% said coleslaw. Um, we, I was just trying to find a fourth option to be honest. I'm not a big fan <laughs> of coleslaw God. myself. Um, I'm a big tuna on Jacket Potato fans, so that's what I go with. Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show, Jacob Robinson from CanaryCast and Matt Lax from New York Talk. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I would say name the eight highest scoring players in the championship last season, and Jacob would say Alexander Mitrovic, that's one down, and Matt would say Dominic Slanky, that's another down. But if Justin would say Jordan Hugill, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. Justin's not with us again, so what I'm going to do, chaps, is give you an extra life so you've got three goes between you to try and get all of the following so we'll begin the season off with a stadium related question can you guys name for me the eight smallest grounds in the championship this season based on capacity matt i I feel like you've got a tap in here so we'll let you go first (laughs) yeah easy this one uh new york stadium (laughs) Absolutely. Rotherham's ground holds 12,000. That's the second smallest ground in the championship. Jacob, your go. It's going to be a tricky one. Uh, Who even came up? (laughs) Uh, Oh, wow. I'm going to say, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't like this one. But the Den? The Den is correct. It's the fifth smallest stadium. It holds just over 20,000 um, at the home of Millwall. So you've got two so far. Six to go. Matt, your go? Uh, Luton. Kenilworth uh, Road. Absolutely. The home of Luton Town is the smallest in the championship with a capacity of just over 10,000. So, Jacob, it's your go again. Five to go. <laughs> oh, no. It's such a bad uh, go brain freeze, don't you? Why can I not think of a football? Why can I not think of a championship team? Oh, there we go. I've got one. Uh, mm, Wigan. The DW Stadium just misses out on this oh, list. No. It holds just over twenty five thousand. So you've lost one life. And the thing is, Jacob, you're still <laughs> you're still running because um, <laughs> still you've got an life. <laughs> so <laughs> this is going to be interesting. Um, so you've lost your extra life. You've got five to go. Matt, it's your go again. Uh, I will go. I've got a couple. I will. Preston. Deepdale just misses out on oh. the list. So Matt's out, unfortunately, and that means we're left with Jacob, who is struggling hey. to think of any championship <laughs> teams. <laughs> no, I can so get this now. Five remaining, Jacob. Bloomfield Road? Blackpool? Absolutely. Bloomfield Road is the third smallest ground. It uh, has a capacity of just over 17,000. So you've got four so far. That means you're halfway through. Jacob, any more? QPR? Loftus Road, is that still Oh, no, it's Kyat Prince, isn't it? No, it's the Loftus Road again. Uh, you're absolutely <laughs> I... correct. More than 18,000 seats at QPR's home. That's the fourth smallest ground. So you've got the bottom five, um, or the top five, I should say, smallest grounds in the championship. Can you name the remaining three, Jacob? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just from a team out there. Now, can we be can we be technical here? How many how many seats are Birmingham actually currently like got capacity wise? <laughs> we're not playing that game. We're not playing that game. Do you want to say Birmingham? I'll say Birmingham. I think we're wrong. I think that's uh, big, but yeah. Yeah, St Andrews is miles off, but maybe technically it is correct. But yep, yeah, you're out, unfortunately, Jacob. The teams you were looking for, gents, Swansea, 
that holds just over 21,000, just under 21,000, I should say, the Swansea.com stadium. No, I, I didn't realise it was that small either. Uh, Vicarage Road is the seventh smallest stadium. Watford's just a tad more than 22,000. And then Turf Moor, the home of Burnley, just a shy more, 22,500. So in a strange twist, the teams who have come up actually have bigger grounds than the teams who have come down. Um, so work that one out. Uh, but there you go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. I'll be honest, a fairly pathetic attempt at it this <laughs> week to get us off, uh, off off the mark for the season. Uh, but I appreciate you both coming on the show. Justin and I will be back on Thursday to discuss Watford v Sheffield United and preview next weekend's games. But a thank you to our guests on the show this week. Jacob Robinson from the Norwich podcast, Canary Cast. Thank you for your time today. Thank you very much, mate. Look forward to hopefully coming on next time and having a bit of a structure, maybe a goal to be able to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. And Matt Lax from the Rotherham podcast, New York Talk. Thank you for your time today. Uh, glad to be back. Thank you, always. Yeah, glad to have you both back on after a year's absence from the second tier. And this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.